Welcome to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. Genesis, the 39th chapter, I'll be reading verses 7 for a little bit. Somebody say for a little bit. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. Somebody say lie with me. She don't mean tell a fib. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened. Somebody say it happened. About this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of the house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried with a loud voice and it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garments and I say she kept it with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice, lifted my voice, and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord, someone say, but the Lord, was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. He's a prisoner, but with authority, because the Lord was with him. Say, the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Father, we thank you for your word. Circumcise our ears and our hearts to hear and to receive the engrafted word that is able to save our souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I'm going to preach quickly. Put the timer up, Anthony. Praise the Lord so I can engage myself. Uh, The third installment of the series, From the Pit to the Palace. Somebody say amen. The very premise of our faith is expressed by a system of belief in things that we cannot see. In fact, in most situations, what we can see is the total antithesis of faith. 
Romans 4, 17, in reciting God's discourse with Abraham, it reads, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, in the presence of him who believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things that are not, or which are not, as though they were. And in verse 3 of the same chapter, it says, Abraham believed God. Say, he believed God. And it was accounted to him or credited to him as righteousness. So then Abraham's faith in what God spoke to him, which was the extreme opposite of what he saw, elevated his status before God and caused God to call him righteous. His behavior hadn't changed, his worship hadn't changed, his service and what he did unto the Lord had not changed, but God spoke to him in the midst of the deadness of his body and called forth new life in a place of death, and Abraham believed it. Isn't it just like God to speak to an old man with erectile dysfunction, with an old dry wife, read between the lines, and say to him that you will be the father of many nations? Somebody shout yes. He didn't check with his wife. He didn't take a poll to investigate whether or not he should believe. Simply God spoke and he believed. Shout he believed. And it moved God to crown him as righteous. Somebody shout righteous. So in the face of extreme opposition, the scripture declares that he believed God. It was in the face of what is impossible that he believed God. It was in the face of what had never happened before in history that he believed God. And it's just like Mary in the same situation whose uh, dynamics of the situation are the exact opposite. Instead of being old and erectile or dry, uh, Mary was young and a virgin who had never been touched. She had never had an experience that was even remotely close to producing what God said. Yet in the midst of that environment, he sends his angel to tell her that she will conceive. Somebody say she's going to conceive and give birth and that the child within her would be placed there by the Holy Spirit. It had never been done before. Say it never happened. It had never been experienced. No one had ever heard about it, but yet her immediate response was, be it unto me according to your word. I'm here to tell you that miracles can happen whenever you choose to believe. Manifestation can happen whenever people put it in their mind that whatever God says, no matter how far uh, stretching it seems or how preposterous it seems, that if God spoke it, it can come to pass. Somebody shout, it can come to pass. It means that God may have spoken a word to you in the midst of an impossible situation and that when you look at all of the dynamics of what it is that you are going through, when you're looking at all of the experiences that you have had, suddenly in the midst of all of that chaos, God begins to speak a word to you and when you surmise all of the things that are going around you, it doesn't seem to make sense. Say it doesn't make sense. But if you choose to believe God in the midst of the chaotic situation, it will come to pass. Somebody shout amen. Thank you for your logic. There are some of us that are logical and analytical, and we have well thought out thought processes of thinking, but there comes a moment when the plan of God begins to intercept with the earth, and it's not going to be according to your logical sense. It doesn't make 
makes sense that Abraham in the midst of an old age could become the father of many nations. In fact, he was not even the father of one heir. Somebody shout amen. And that's just like the nature of God to be the kind of God that calls things that are not as though it was. If you are in the middle of a situation where it seems like the word of the Lord that is spoken over your life is easy to come to pass, then I want you to check that word and see whether or not it is in fact the word of the Lord because if the word does not require or involve the supernatural it can be that God never spoke that word to you somebody shout amen if you can look at your books and if you can look at your resources and if you can look at all of your ability and somehow within yourself you can make that word come to pass then I'm going to present to you that that is not a word that has spoken that God has spoken because God is the God that calls things that are not as though they were. It means that when God is on the move, he has to do it upon the landscape of something that seems impossible. If he's on the move, he has to do it upon the premise of something that's going to require the supernatural intervention of God. He's not an easy God. He's not a light God. When he's going to do a thing, at the end of it, you have to be able to lift up your voice and say, if it had not been for the Lord, huh? who is on my side, this thing would not have come to pass. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. There's something about the ability to believe God that changes your stature. Uh, it changes your position. Somebody say amen. He hadn't done anything more in terms of worship. He hadn't done anything more in terms of his service. But simply because he believed God, it caused him to become righteous. Somebody say righteous. It meant that he was righteous aligned with God the Bible says without faith it is impossible to what to please God and he that cometh to him must believe that he is what that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that seek him. So it looks like uh, there are some of us that are trying to perfect what we do, but it's not really the perfection in your flesh that's going to make you righteous, but it is your belief of God in the spirit. Somebody shout amen. Paul in his epistle to his son in 1 Timothy 1.17 in the good news translation says to the eternal king, immortal and invisible, the only God, to him be glory and honor forever and ever amen somebody say amen of all you need to know about our God Paul said that he is eternal say he's eternal he's a king he said that he's the only God he says that he's immortal which means that he's not like man that his composition is different but of all of those attributes that Paul espoused to his son in the faith the thing that stuck out to me the most sister Cherie is that he said that God is invisible somebody shout invisible and immediately that began to stir in my spirit because it carries with it the connotation of the premise of our faith because he is saying that God uh, in all that we believe in and all we do to please him and all we're doing to follow him is built upon a faith in a God that we cannot see. Somebody shout we can't see him. That means it's the premise of faith. How do we know that God exists? Well, we don't really know that he exists, but we believe that he exists. Somebody shout, I have faith. 
How do we know that when you sit down in the chair that the chair is going to hold up your weight? Somebody say, I don't really know, but I got faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. How do you know when you get in the car and you turn on the engine that the engine's not going to blow up? We really don't know, but we have faith. Somebody say faith. And so the premise of our faith is that we have to believe in a God that we cannot see. We have to believe in a God that we cannot tangibly touch. We have to believe in a God that exists uh, in a realm that we cannot necessarily access. Our God is not like Buddha. That means he's not a statue uh, that you can put with a little fat man in your living room and bow down and say that this is our God. He's not like uh, the princess or the, the spiritual force of the goddess Diana in Paul's day who had a temple in Ephesus. He's not like the god Dagon whose semblance was knocked down in the temple when the ark of the Lord was brought back into the temple. He says to his son, Timothy, God is a God that cannot be seen, but Timothy, he's a God that has to be revealed. Somebody shout reveal. Somebody shout revealed. You're looking for a God that you'll never be able to see and understand and process with your finite temporal uh, understanding. But say God has to be revealed. Revelation by definition. I know I'm preaching better than y'all acting. Revelation by destiny, uh, definition is a surprising and previously unknown fact. Especially one that is made known in a dramatic way. Say dramatic. That means that when God wants to reveal himself and show you a facet of himself that you have never seen, he brings you into a game of peekaboo. Somebody shout peekaboo. Somebody shout peekaboo. The scripture says that he is light and whom there is no darkness or shadow of turning. What's the best way to reveal light other than in total darkness? So it means that when God, Elder Ramona, is about to reveal himself to you, it's not necessarily the angel that comes with glistening wings into your room to catch you up into the heavens. It's not necessarily some great invitation that opens up a major door. It's not necessarily a big upsurge in your economy but when God wants to reveal himself to you, beloved, he drops you down in the midst of a very dark place. I know some of us are afraid of the dark and even now when you go in the kitchen in the middle of the night you turn on every light on your way down into the kitchen but there's something about God that likes to work in the places of darkness in the inner recesses of obscurity in the place where nobody else can see what's going on when he is ready to reveal himself to you he's going to drop you down in a dark place somebody shout a dark place that means that you're going to have to overcome your phobia you're going to have to overcome your fear of not being in control. You're going to have to overcome your fear of not being able to just flick on a light switch whenever you want. But God is about if you find yourself, I feel this thing on me, if you find yourself in a dark place, congratulations because you're just around the corner from the revelation of God that's about to shift everything in your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he drops you into a game of peekaboo and he hides himself and as you scurry around in the midst of your dilemma trying to find the exit suddenly he jumps out and says peekaboo somebody shout peekaboo 
There are three things in the text. At this point, Joseph has had two dreams which prophesied to him of two significant levels of promotion that were to come upon his life. He was favored by his father. Somebody say favored. Somebody say favored again. There's some people that's jealous of the favor of the father that's on you. I can't get help. I know uh, it's, it's tight already. It's tight. And, and you got to be careful. Somebody say be careful. You got to be careful, beloved, that when you were in a family dynamic where there's favor on you. You got to be careful. I'm going to say this. I'm going to just talk right where we are. You got to be careful even in the church setting. Because I, I, I don't believe that pastors really have favorites. Even though I claim that Aaron is my favorite. But we don't really have favorites. Somebody say they don't have favorites. But pastors have people that don't stir up mess in church. I know y'all not going to like it. Pastors have people that are committed to the vision. Pastors have people that come on time for service. Pastors have people that work tirelessly in the vision and they sow into the vision and they bring uh, valuable information to help the vision be established. Somebody shout amen. Pastors have people that come and every time they need them, they're there to answer the call. Pastors have people in the church that when there's a disagreement, they know how to disagree respectably and honorably. Pastors have people that know that when they have an ought, y'all not going to help me, but it's all right. I'm going to stay right here. That when they have an ought with the leader, they know how not to gossip about it and talk about it to the left and to the right and come and set up an appropriate meeting. Say appropriate meeting. That means you're not coming to the meeting huffing and puffing because if you come into my meeting huffing and puff and I'm a huff and puff right back but they know appropriately how to come into the meeting and how to plead their case and say apostle I think something is going on and this is how I feel we don't have favorites but we have people that's not a thorn in the flesh we got people that's not a pain in the I ain't gonna get no help so it's not that 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 we have favorites but there are people that have favor shout favor and if you are one of the people that have favor Dejan you gotta be careful somebody say be careful ask me why because when you have favor on you and the next person doesn't have the same amount of favor the thing that they're gonna try to do in order to be favored is attach themselves to you because they see how the pastor looks at you y'all not gonna help me they see how the pastor smiles when you walk in the room they see how the pastor's face lights up when you come in to serve and they see how the pastor frowns when they come in so what they do is attach themselves to people that have favor but somebody ought to shake themselves this morning and shake yourself loose from the leeches that are trying to suck the favor out of your life so Joseph was favored say favored <laughs> by his father he was hated, don't do it, I'm not ready, by his brothers, stop, and sold into slavery. I'm going to get there. Give me a second. <laughs> Y'all get on my nerves. <laughs> sold into slavery, not once but twice. And he is serving as the governor of Potiphar's house. I can't get that tune out of my head. Everything in the house is under his leadership. Somebody say everything. It's under his leadership and jurisdiction. And because he is favored, the favor and the blessing of the Lord comes upon Potiphar and everything that he possesses. That would have been great if Joseph could have just remained there. But God had a greater plan 
and a greater purpose. Somebody shout, this ain't enough. There are levels of success that once you attain to them, you start thinking this is pretty good and I'm in a good spot and I'm content. But when it's not the fullness of God's purpose for your life, even in that place, you're going to start to feel uncomfortable. And there are people around you that don't understand your disposition because they're looking at what you have and they're saying you ought to be content. They're looking at what you have and say that you ought, you ought to be grateful for the blessing that's in your life. You got three cars. Why you need a fourth one? Somebody shout hallelujah. And it's not that I'm just going after things, but it's because there's something in my spirit that says even with all that I have that there's something more. Somebody shout there's something more. And so Joseph is in this predicament where he understands that the calling of God and the purpose of God is not just to leave him as the governor of Potiphar's house, but that there is another level. Somebody say there's another level. Point number one, the testing of your integrity is the precursor to your promotion. If God is going to elevate you, Dejan, he's going to test you first. If God is going to bring you to another level, he is going to vet you for that next level. Somebody shout amen. Potiphar's wife starts coming on to Joseph in secret. Somebody say in secret. That means the real test of your integrity never happens in a place where everybody can see. Because it's easy for you to dress it up and put it up and look a certain way in front of us. But the reality is who you really are is who you are behind the scenes. Y'all not going to help me here. And so Potiphar's wife in secret begins to come on to Joseph. And Joseph said, my master doesn't even know what is with me in the house. In other words, he says, your husband doesn't even balance his own checkbook. Your husband doesn't know how much money is coming in and out of the account. Your husband doesn't know how many employees he has working for him. All of that is left in my hand and under my leadership and my jurisdiction. And the only thing that he has never permitted me to have was you because you are his wife. But then he asked this question. Somebody say, what is it? He says, how can I commit this wickedness before the Lord or against the Lord? Somebody shout integrity. So in other words, he knew that he could mess with her and get away with it. He knew that he could sleep with her and that she would never tell. He knew that he could sleep with her and that he could do it in such a way that it would never be found out. But yet his heart was pricked and he asked the question, how is it that I would be able to do the wickedness not in front of you or against my master but against the Lord? Somebody say the Lord. So the test of integrity is how are you going to manage the favor of your life by making sure you never sin against the Father? Somebody say amen. It's a test of character. We are surrounded by a lot of people who are not going anywhere and they're not doing nothing. They're making a lot of noise. They got really nice flyers. They got a nice ministry website, but they're doing nothing. Could it be that they are failing God's personal integrity test. Because if you are going to go from the pit to the palace, and if you are going to get to the place of God's destination for your life, you are never going to be promoted into that place without going through the test. If you've never had the test, I'm telling you, baby, you better get your calendar out and start marking off the days because the test is coming. 
I'm not talking about just a temptation. I'm talking about the test that is going to determine what manner of man or woman you actually are. The test that is going to decide how God is going to weigh in on your life. Somebody shout, the test is coming. The test is coming. Point number two, you got to survive the setup. Say survive the setup. When you don't give people what they want, they will conspire against you to entrap you another way. I ain't going to get no help. I said when you don't give people what they want, they will conspire against you to entrap you another way. Can I present something to you that some of the most notable scandals that we have seen in the body of Christ have not been because people were in error and got caught. They have been because people were in error and somebody they were in error with got mad. And because the dynamics changed, all of a sudden what you had for five years needs to become public knowledge. All of a sudden, dirt that you did with, y'all not going to help me, I already know, but I got to preach it anyway. All of a sudden, dirt that you did together a long time ago now has to make the headlines. It's not just that you fail, it's that the people that you were dealing with all of a sudden, because you changed the dynamics, are now in a place where they've got to conspire against you. Somebody shout hallelujah. You got to look at the spirit that is operating through the wife because the objective of the spirit is to stop the process and the flow of God's favor on Joseph's life. Watch this. The result of sin is the glory of God lifting. And so if she could not stop the favor by putting him at odds with God, she said, well, let me get the next course of action. The next, next course of action is going to be to imprison him. God, help me preach this the way I hear it. To imprison him in a place where he loses his influence. You got to watch people. I know I preach that every week, but you got to watch people. Somebody say, watch them. You got to watch the people that don't have a problem with you being diminished and losing the seat that God has ordained for your life. I'm not going to get a lot of help. But there are people, come on, help me, Jesus. There are people, say there are people. There are people right here in the midst of the saints that if the bottom were to fall out of everything you're doing, they're not going to lament. They're not going to cry. They're not going to grieve. They're going to walk around with their little gossip group and they're going to say, I told you so. Didn't I tell you they was like this? Didn't I? The devil is a lie. I pray that God brings judgment on every spirit that is trying to set you up for your demise, every conspiracy, every network. Come on, the devil is a lie. You're going to have to back up off of me in this season because I'm going after everything that God has assigned to my life and if you look like you're a hindrance I'm ready to roll you over somebody shout hallelujah you gotta know those sit down real quick you gotta know those and recognize those that are in a secret competition with you and will do anything to keep you from being on top you got to know them. How do you know them? This is what they look like. Every time you say something that's happening good for you, their response is never celebration. It's something good that's happening with them. 
Every time you talk about your advancement or you talk about an opportunity, I'm not going to get help. I know it's tight. It's tight. It's tight. It's tight. Every time you talk about the blessing and the favor of God on your life, here they come with a pseudo blessing and a pseudo favor and a pseudo something. Every time you start to talk about an open door or something that's happening for you, how oh, y'all going to help me in here? Uh, all of a sudden, they got an open door somewhere. Now, watch this because they talked about open doors, but we don't never see them. They talk about opportunities, but we don't ever see them. But yet every time you open your mouth to talk about God's favor, I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I got to help somebody that's not intimidated because the favor of God is on your life. You're going to have to come to a place where you don't have a rejection complex and you can look at people in the eye and say the favor is on me. And if you accept it or reject it, it's not going to matter because God has put his hand on me and I'm going to walk in the season of my favor. I'm going to walk in the fulfillment of my destiny. You might be a hater, but keep on hating. You might be an enemy, but keep being an enemy because I'm ready to get all that God has assigned for my life. Who am I preaching to? You've got to shake off the leeches in this season. You've got to shake off the haters in this season because they've been a distraction. They put bumps in the road. They created stumbling blocks. But instead of leaping over and trying to figure out what your purpose is, if you don't look right, you're not right. If you're not talking right, you're not right. I'm not playing a guessing game. You better move the out of my way because I'm going from the pit to the palace. I'm going from the pit to the high place. Somebody open your mouth and give God a shout of praise. I'm going. You've got to survive. Take your seats. I'm almost done. I got three minutes. You have to survive the setup. Somebody say survive the setup. That means the setup is going to come. It means, watch this. You got to pay attention to people who are in your life and who say they love you that are willing to put you at odds with your God. If you know that what you are proposing is going to threaten the favor on my life, if you know, let me go back down. A little bit lower. If you know, that the season that we are in is about to come to a close. And instead of recognizing that the jig is up, here you go. Trying to dig your heels deeper into the ground. Trying to attach to me a little bit harder. Y'all going to have to help me. Somebody shout hallelujah. There are those that are in our lives 
that don't mind putting us at odds with the Most High God. And I had to find out as I entered my 40th year, the fourth decade on life, on the planet of my life, I started to assess things and look at things a little different. And I looked at people and began to characterize them. And I said, mm, I'm a little concerned because this person over here called themselves a friend, but they knew my anointing and they knew my call and they knew my destiny. Y'all ain't gonna help me preach, but they didn't mind putting me in a compromising place. They didn't mind. Y'all not gonna help me, but I'm gonna preach anyway. They didn't mind putting me in a place that might cause the anointing to lift up off of my life. And I said, but God, I love them. But he said, Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? So I had to redefine my definition of love. Love isn't sentiment. Love isn't warm fuzzy. Love isn't joy joy. Love is those that prefer the interests of God on my life. You can't love me and do things that hate me. You can't love me and be a part of what destroys me. I know y'all don't want to hear it, but somebody you love is a part of what's destroying your life. And if you're going to go from the pit to the palace, you're going to have to reassess some of the loves in your life. You're going to have to look at them a little bit differently and say, if you can't push me towards my destiny, if you are not a contributing factor to the glory on my life, I've got to look at you a little bit different and I've got to recognize if you're not helping me, you're hurting me. Who am I prophesying to? It's time for you to reassess and rearrange. It's time to reconfigure and to put people in another category. I know they've been there for 25 years, but this thing that God's gonna do has been on hold long enough. It's time for you to come into purpose. It's time for you to come into destiny. Kick them out of your life. Push them to the side and go after what God has called you. Give God a hand praise, come on. Take your seats, I'm almost done. Take your seats. It takes a skilled demonic harlot to infiltrate the life of somebody carrying the glory. I'm going to say it one more time. It takes a skilled demonic harlot to infiltrate the life of somebody that carries the glory. Because when you're a glory carrier, the regular harlots don't get your attention. Because you look at them and say, that's a harlot. Y'all not going to help me in here. You look at them and you say, oh, that's a whole spirit. And I got too much to lose. I done came too far. Y'all not going to tell the truth, but I'm going to preach the truth. Huh? I've come too far. 
to risk it with you. But when you carry the glory and you're on your way from the pit to the palace, all of a sudden, on your journey, the devil is going to send a harlot. That's not your ordinary harlot. It's not your ordinary hoe. It's not your order. Y'all not going to help. It's not your ordinary trial. But all of a sudden, in the midst of the journey, there's going to be a harlot that's bringing something to the table. There's going to be a harlot that has something to lose, just like you have something to lose. There's going to be a harlot that understands the realms of authority. There's going to be a harlot that understands the realms of power. That's the one y'all not preaching. You got to look out for because that harlot is on an assignment. Everybody can deal with the anointing. Everybody can deal with the glory. But when you find somebody's demons that are unmoved next to your anointing, you better sound an alarm when you can be anointed and sitting next to somebody that's on a demonic assignment. You better look out because that's a devil that's sent from the bottom of hell. And if you are not careful, that demon will take everything you got. That demon will destroy your purpose. But I'm prophesying that we're not going to be moved by the spirit of the harlot. Somebody shake yourself. Say, wait, 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 wait. You got to watch the ones. That know how to operate with the anointed ones. You got to watch him. Because it's a special kind of assignment to take out a leader. That's not a low-ranking demon. Y'all don't like this. I know. Let me move on to the... That's not a low-ranking demon. If you can get a leader that's touched the glory and tasted of the powers of the age to come and has been in a position to handle the good word of God, if you can get that person that has seen eternity, has experienced the power of God, has seen the exploits of God to reconsider their own assignment and start thinking about what it would be like to leave it all and to be with you. That's a rare demon. Somebody look up and down your row and squint your eyes good like you're looking in the spirit and see whether or not there's a rare demon on your row. And if you find one, sound an alarm because we can't take prisoners. We came too close 
So the fulfillment of what God said for the harlot to entice us now. We've come too far to be beguiled by the enticing woman that says, come and lie with me. Well, it's not just a woman. Your spirit might be a man. Look up and down the row. It might not be just a sexual rendezvous, but the enticement might be a job offer. You gotta look up and down the row. It might not be just a job offer, but it might be a consecration that you're not ready for. Look up and down the row. Where is the spirit of a rare demon trying to entice you away from the favor? Y'all not gonna help me preach. Somebody open your mouth and give him a shout of praise. I gotta go. Take your seats. Point two four. Sit down. Two four. You gotta be careful of the people who are willing to participate in the conspiracy. Because one in the circle has the information. Another in the circle just wants to hear the information. But you got another in the circle that wants to tell the information. And together they form a network. Somebody shout network. They form a network of people that conspire to remove you from the place of influence that God has assigned to your life. And see, if you listen to what I've been preaching over these last few weeks, these messages of empowerment, it has been to make you reassess your life in a different way. And I've been doing it. And everybody that's close to me knows I've been in reassessment mode. Watch this. Point two four. Some of you, I'm going to write it, I'm going to say it the way I wrote it. Some of you think, watch this, you got to watch the conspiracy. Somebody say, watch, just go like this. Watch Conspiracy. Some of you think you have truth about me. But the reality is you're only a believer in the conspiracy. I'll say it again. Some of you think, think that you have truth about me. Were you there? Wait, wait, no, 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 no. The truth you think you know is only hearsay. Watch this. And it's hearsay based on someone else's misunderstanding. Yet you think you have intel. Watch this. I wouldn't sit in a church under a leader and think that I have intel about the leader that has impacted my heart and not be willing to clear it up. How do you call yourself a son or a daughter and you think that you have intelligence about me that you never sat down at, at a table with me to talk about? And you think that your heart has not been impacted? You're a conspiracy theorist. Wait, 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 wait. 
Some of you are the perpetuators of the conspiracy. Wait a minute. Well, here we go. Let's take an assessment. People that are connected to you think that they know stuff about stuff that happened years before they ever came into our, 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 our community. So now you're a perpetuator of conspiracy because you're trying to make sure new people are a part of the conspiracy. No, 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 no. 41 has me coming out of naivety. Because naivety says, oh, well, we all here on the same team, and we all serve in the same God, and we all going in the same direction. Lie! <laughs> Lie. Truth says, furlough, there are people that are in this flock that are probably in this room right now that are waiting for the bottom to fall out of this whole thing. See, when it says know those who labor amongst you, it doesn't mean just know the elders. Doesn't mean just know the ministers and the missionaries. You got to know the person on the back row that ain't opened their mouth yet. You got you to gotta know what system they're operating from. You're part of the conspiracy. Wait. Watch this. I don't care, can I just say it the way that I wrote it? I don't care how high you are, what your title is, what your position is. If you are pushing the propaganda of the conspiracy, you are a tool in the hands of Satan warring against God's anointing and the purpose of God for this flock. And this is what I heard. Are you ready for this? I heard the Lord cry out, woe unto them. And I said, Lord, let the hand of the Lord move swiftly to punish those who would conspire against God's anointed. He cried out to me in the shower the other day, touch not my anointed. And I said, God, well, we forgot that scripture. And do my prophets no harm. And guess what? Sometimes the prophets are jacked up. Elijah was cussing people out. He was calling down fire from heaven. Sometimes the prophet is going to get on your last nerve, but it's not in your jurisdiction to touch them. Let's stay right here for a minute because y'all all talk about old school and we from the old school when they act like it. Because old school taught you respect and honor. Old school taught you how to submit to authority. Old school taught you that when you come in the house of God that you don't act like twice the spawn of hell. You learn how to sit down, shut up, and submit. Oh, there goes shut up again. First he called us stupid down, he telling us to shut up. But old school taught us that there are some things that you don't open your mouth about. You sit down, you pray, you work it out, you fast, you try to get it right. If you have an ought with somebody, you've got to get in that person's face and you got to work it out. You don't gossip about it. You don't talk about it. You don't try to get people on your side to build the confederation against leaders in the house of God. Somebody said we gotta get it right. We gotta fix it because we're on our way from the pit to the palace. And if we can't pass the test of integrity, you're gonna be in a never-ending cycle until you learn the lesson or get snuffed out. You cannot be in this house. Listen to me. I don't know why my messages come here so much. Because people ain't learning. 
You cannot be in this house stirring up controversy and conspiracy and conflict and poisoning people and think that God is not going to deal with you. It's impossible. You don't understand the long-suffering nature of God. See, watch this. When God lets you persist in your wrong, he's giving you space to get it right. God's not dumb. He's not blind. He's giving you an opportunity to fix it. This Bible tells me we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. And some of the people that got the biggest mouths in here are the ones that try to fall short of the glory with me. See, you, you gotta, the conspiracy doesn't begin until you don't give people what they want. I, I, I got to preach the truth. I, if, I, if I wasn't, I have to be me. I have to be me. It doesn't become an issue until you hear, I'm not risking my anointing for you. It does not become a conflict until I say, can you please move seven spaces away from my life? Now, all of a sudden, there's an issue. The devil's a lie. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. God is my judge. You hear me? God is my judge, and he's your judge. You hear me? And he has the measurement. And he has all of the intel. And he has all of the righteousness. And I'm telling you, God is going to move to vindicate. But you better make sure you're on the right side of that judgment and vindication. All right. Last point. It was the master. No, this point free, child. You know you got to have three points when you preach, right? That's the Baptist way. You got three points and a close. I got to close in here, but I'm tired. The master put you in the prison. Take your seats real quick. Let me just, I'm just going to talk it out. The master put you in the prison. Wasn't your enemy. It was the master. Somebody say the master. Watch this. Potiphar believed his wife, which means that there will be a season. Watch this. Where it's going to look like the conspirators have influenced the ones that you once trusted. What do you do when the people that you once trusted are overtaken by the conspiracy? See, that's an uncomfortable spot because you want to believe that even in your vulnerability that you can trust the people that you trust. But part of the prison experience is that the same people that once lifted you up and had your back they get overtaken by the rhetoric and the propaganda of the people that are conspiring against your life. And you have to be able to go through that with integrity. You can't cry when the most trusted people are poisoned and they believe the poison. See, there's people I know, I hear all, listen, y'all, whatever. I'm over it. I'm just so over it. I, listen to me. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. Come on. Come on. I hear well. I hear well. I hear people joking. Oh, you know, if Apostle wasn't already married, you'd make a good wife for him. 
I hear, come on, y'all. I hear, come on. Let me get on with my points. I don't want to scare y'all because y'all think the devil could do stuff that God can't do. Well, he must be working with witchcraft. How he know that? How he know we, girl, you know we said that. Well, what did, what did they say? He said, tell us which one of you were for the king of Syria. They said, no, 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 there's a prophet in Israel that's telling the king what you're talking about in your bedchambers. You got to fix that because there are people that will dance with you and conspire against you. David, they'll run around the church right behind you. Right behind you. When you go over, they go over. Oh. No, that's not Baptist. That's prayer tabernacle. That's the tab buck. Y'all know nothing about the tab buck. Watch Tina Moriar. She still do it. That's the, that's the prayer tab buck. It gets on Quentin every once in a while. Get on Kwani. I don't know how Kwani got it because she ain't never went to prayer tab. But Kwani got it. They'll buck with you and be a part of the conspiracy the whole time. They'll serve on your leadership team and be a part of the conspiracy. And they'll influence other people and inhibit their ability to serve. Why? Because they're believing a lie. It was the master to put him into prison. Watch this. Potiphar believed his wife. You got to be able to deal with the people that you once trusted buying into the lie. 3 2. The Lord was with Joseph in prison and he showed him great mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Here's the revelation I said that God has to be revealed. So I'm going to say revealed. It was in the place of the prison that God revealed to Joseph that no matter where you are, I'm right, w- right with you. So we, we talk about God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, but that doesn't become revealed knowledge to you until you're in a place where you feel like God has left you. And he shows you, I'm still there. But you have to experience the feeling of being left to recognize that he's there when you feel all alone. Jesus cried out on the cross. He said, my father, my father. Why have you forsaken me? Did he forsake him? Absolutely not. The psalmist already said it. Even if you make your bed in hell, I'm there with you. But there was a moment of despair in the prison that he was in that made him think the God that God had left him. Can I present to you that as you are on your journey from the pit to the palace, that part of your prison experience is going to be a moment where you feel like God left you. It's in that place that you will see the glory of God in a new dimension. Somebody say new dimension. Because he brings you into the place of obscurity to reveal to you the greatness of his light. From the prison, Joseph arises to the status of chief. And every prisoner and everything in the jail was placed under his authority. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. So it's in the process that God has got to measure your capacity. Somebody say the process. That means you got to go through. You hear me? Listen to me. There's no shortcut in the kingdom of God. 
I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what they promise you. You can buy every book for three steps, 10 steps, 12 steps. It ain't going to happen until God has deemed that you are ready for it to happen. So that means, did you hear that? It just came out of me. That in the process, the Lord puts you in a place to measure your capacity. He's got to bring you down into the pit to test your faithfulness and your loyalty to him. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that's easy to realize when you're on top of the mountain. But can you have the same resolve and commitment when you're in the valley? There are some valley experiences that you have got to go through. There are some pits that God is going to leave you in. And it's going to be the test of your faith. It's going to be the measurement of your capacity to be entrusted with a place of suffering. Because if you can be faithful over a few things, he's going to make you ruler over many. I ain't got nobody to help me preach this afternoon. Stand to your feet. I'm about to close. But there are some seasons where God has got to allow you to be touched with some infirmity. There are some places where he's got to allow brokenness in your life because as you are trusted with a little bit of suffering, you'll find out that the suffering, say it with me, of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that may be revealed in just a few days weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning you've got to make up your mind i'm gonna start enduring my night season a place of no revelation a place of no direction a place of no light a place of darkness and obscurity because God knows if you can manage the weeping for a night, you can manage the breaking of day and the bursting forth of light and the mercies that are new every morning. I just came to preach for a minute that your prison has a purpose. What is the purpose, preacher? The purpose is revelation because in my suffering, I find God in a new dimension it's in the midst of my darkness that my prison reveals to me the light of God's glory he's proven to me that if he brought me into it he's gonna bring me out of it I just need a few believers to clap your hands and to shout I'm in a prison season but I'm about to come out I see the Lord in a new dimension. I really feel anointed. You might laugh at the package, but you better hear the word. God is about to turn again your captivity and you're about to come out of your prison season. You're about to move to another level. You're about to go from the pit to the palace, what you weren't able to do in the last season you were in. Come on, Holy Ghost. You're about to do in the new place. Your assignment 
is about to change. He's about to send you whatever you need to bring it to pass. He's about to move you to a higher elevation. Your seat has been prepared. Your dominion has been prepared. Your throne has been prepared. I came to preach a message of deliverance to somebody that's been given up because of your trials. Stop banging on the prison doors, trying to get out, become like Paul and Silas in the midst of the prison experience. You've got to praise. And in the midst of the praise, suddenly the earth begins to quake. Suddenly, there's a sound from heaven. Suddenly, the doors of the prison begin to open. I wish I had a praiser that was ready to come out of the prison. Open your mouth. Give God the praise. Praise him until the earth shakes. Praise him until the prison doors begin to rattle. Praise him. Y'all not praising. Open your mouth. Give him glory. Everybody standing. Come on, we about to go. Your praise, your praise has the ability to accelerate your season because when you praise, you step out of this finite temporal world and you begin to enter into God's eternal world. Who am I talking to? I need about five praisers that would open their mouth and begin to praise God. Because when you praise him, it creates a space for God to move. And every time you praise him, you start to see him in another dimension. Every time you praise him, you start to see him another facet of glory. That's why the angels praise him. That's why they say, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because every time they look at him, they see another attribute of his holiness. That's why we quicken. That's why we dance. That's why we run. Because every time we enter into praise, there's another dimension that gets to be revealed. I might be praising him here. Then all of a sudden, I see something else. And then I quicken and shout hallelujah again. They say, what's wrong with him? Ain't nothing wrong. I just saw something that I never saw before. All of a sudden, there's another wave. And I quicken again and give him another praise. And in the midst of that praise, there's another dimension that begins to open and then while I'm looking and giving him praise for what I saw there's another wave and I see him again there's another anointing 
I wish I had five praisers that would open your mouth and give and praise and praise and praise and praise and praise. Come on and praise. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where once again we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. We'll see you next time.